Good morning. It's so great to be with you guys today. It's always a joy and a pleasure um, to be with you. I um, I was told that uh, you guys are typically having people speak from the floor, and I was like, that's great. I love that because then I don't risk falling off the stage because that could happen. Um, and then they said, but you're a little bit short, so you might want to take the stage after all. And I was like, oh, well, okay. That's, that's truth. I'm not offended because that is a true statement. So uh, I'm going to speak from up here today just so y'all can see me and not have to tell me to tiptoe. So um, like I said, I, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. And um, I am always so blessed by Pastor Tim and Lisa and the relationship that we have with them and, um, and just his openness to allow me to come and uh, take his pulpit for the day while he is baptized or uh, dedicating a baby, uh, the Bohannon's baby today. And that's, that's a joyful um, gift as a pastor to be able to do those things. And as a congregation, for you to allow him to go is a great thing too. So um, when, I'm going to just get right into it. When my family, which is kind of a rarity, we have some downtime, um, especially after a couple of busy weeks, we tend to uh, kind of hermit in our house, and we throw some sweats on and order a pizza, and we'll just kind of binge watch movies. Does anybody else do binge watch movies? Okay, good. I have some honest people. Good. Okay. Um, and so we, we just like to do that, you know, because it's just kind of shut the world out and be with family and then zone out and watch TV. Um, and a lot of times we really like comedies um, or like action movies, and those tend to be the superhero nature like the superhero stuff, like Batman and, you know, Wonder Woman, she's my girl, Um, you know, and all those. And so a couple of weeks ago, my daughter uh, said she wanted to watch Spider-Man, the the first one with Tobey Maguire, I think it was like 2002. So I'm going to be honest, it's not my favorite. It's a little bit cheesy for me, but it's okay because she likes it. And if anybody else likes it here, just forget that I just said that. Um, but there's this line in the movie, and maybe you're familiar with it, and especially if you're a super or a Spider-Man, you know, fan, you're gonna you'll know this. But there's this one line in the movie that's not even spoken by Spider-Man or Peter Parker, you know, his like regular identity. Um, it's actually spoken by Uncle Ben, right? And you might know what I'm talking about. Um, he says, and this is this is always, whenever he says it, it always makes me kind of sit up a little bit, even with the cheese of the movie. This line makes me sit up because I think that there's a powerful truth in it. And he says this, with great power comes great responsibility. Is there a picture? I have a picture. I was proud of my picture. There he is. There's Uncle Ben. Um, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that that's a very true statement, right? And, and there's a time where, even in our cultural climate right now, with the politicians, I wish that they would know that, right? But I won't go any further with that. That's all I'm going to say on that. But, but, don't, but isn't that a great truth? And don't we wish that we kind of had that more of an understanding? And the interesting thing is, as I was preparing for today, this quote kind of came into my mind. Except because we're going to be looking at First John today, it wasn't Uncle Ben that was saying it. It was Apostle John. And he wasn't talking about power. He was talking about privilege. And what uh, the apostle John would have said was, with great privilege comes great responsibility. Doesn't apostle John look nice in that picture? He looks a little confused to me, but that's okay. But it is. It's the great privilege that comes with with great responsibility. See, the Apostle John, in this, in this letter, in his letters to the church, was really calling them up to something different. Um, and he was really challenging them 
and really reminding them, because there was some stuff going on that I'm going to explain in a minute, that they were forgetting some base knowledge, some base understanding that he had taught them a time and time again. But he needed to remind them that they were children of God and that because they were children of God, that they had great privileges that came with that relationship with God. And then conversely, there was responsibilities that went with that too. And so as we're looking into this today, as we're looking into the scripture, I want to challenge you to really kind of put your, yourself in this, right? Where are the privileges that you're experiencing? Where, where, which are the ones you're struggling to accept? What are the responsibilities that we may be avoiding? Or which are the ones that we're taking on as burdensome at times? So let's pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father God, we thank you for this time to look into your word, to come to your house, to be together in fellowship. Father, I pray that you would speak mightily today. Father, that as we look into your word, that it would just jump out at us, that you would reveal yourself on such a deep level. Father, that you would speak to us in a way that maybe we've never been spoken to. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask that you would come. Make yourself known in us as individuals and as a congregation. Father, we thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. All right, so flip with me over to 1 John 2. That's where we're going to be kind of camping out today. Um, but before we jump in, I want to give you a little, ba- a little bit of backstory. Because when you're studying scripture, you always want to understand context, right? Because really knowing the backstory to something can change the way you understand or the way you read something. And so what's happening here in this letter um, in particular is that John is having to write to the churches, and this is a letter that was circulated, regu- you know, kind of widely, is that there was a, a heresy that was being spread called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism um, was a major problem within the churches because it was causing people to uh, be turned, like their, their, their theology was turned and, and um, tweaked and twisted, and they were leaving the church in mass droves. And so um, he wrote this letter to convince them, to send the argument that, you know, that the Gnostics were wrong in their thinking. And what the Gnostics believed was that the spirit is entirely good, and matter was entirely evil. And this led to two major errors. There was, there was a lot of errors that go with this, but there was two major errors that um, was really spoken to by John in this. And the first is that they denied that Jesus is the incarnation, that he was God in human form, because they argued how could God, who is spirit and fully good, take a bodily form made of matter, which is entirely evil? Right? So they couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't reconcile that Jesus, who was fully man, could be fully God. Because evil and good can't coincide in the same form, right? And so that was a, a major uh, theological error that they have. And then secondly, they believe that salvation didn't come from Christ, but through special knowledge that only they had that wasn't available to the whole body of the believers. See, Gnostic or Gnosis means knowledge in Greek. And so they had this special Gnosis that nobody else had access to. It was like they had this special thing going on, which is completely false also because God says he reveals himself to us equally, right? And regularly, he wants us to come and to know him. And so John is having to write against this because the churches were falling prey to these Gnostics that were coming in and changing their theology and really causing them to second guess their relationship with God, how God viewed them, and then how they viewed God in return. So let's get into verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 28. 
And we're going to read through, and we're going to kind of uh, take it in pieces, because it's kind of a, a large chunk of verse that we're going to be in today. So, verse uh, uh, 228. Looking, I'm on the wrong page. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. All right, let's pause there for a second. Within the first seven words, there are two major things I want us to cover, okay, that are really important. And that, that the first is that John affirms the readers as being children of God, where he says, and now, dear children. He's not saying, you're my children. He's saying, you're God's children, and I'm reminding you of who you are. See, the Gnostics wanted to strip that away from them. They wanted to tell him, you're not really followers of God. You don't really know him because you don't have that special knowledge that I have. So he's reminding them, you are children of God. Don't we sometimes need to be reminded that we're children of God? Sometimes we forget who we are in our being, in our birthright. We forget. And so John is telling them, you are children of God. And then secondly, and this is, I could preach a whole sermon on this one, but I won't. He says, continue in him. So we kind of, when we read stuff like that, we kind of skip, you know, we're like, oh yeah, continue him, that's great. What he's saying here, and this is, this is a huge concept in this section of verses, continue here in the Greek is actually um, meno, which means to abide. So abiding is sitting in, resting in, staying with, not wandering off from. It's a deep knowledge. It's a deep knowing. It's a deep relationship. And he's saying, continue in that, abide in that, stay in that, stay in Jesus. Don't be swerved, don't be swayed by what these people are telling you. As a body, we need to be aware that we cannot be swayed by what culture is telling us, right? That we need to abide in Christ, and that's where our truth comes from, right? We so many times hear false theology, false thoughts, false things, and it can be weighing on us, just as it was happening in the churches, But what John is telling us is continue on, abide in Christ. And by abiding in Christ, you'll know truth. You'll know him, and he'll know you, and you can move forward. The interesting thing, too, is that meno, or abide, is one of John's uh, favorite words to use. He actually uses it 34 times in the Gospels, okay, in the Gospel, and 19, 19 times in his letters, so when something like that happens, when a, when a writer, especially a biblical writer, is using the same term again and again and again, the same word, the same concept, we need to stand up and take notice of that. Because he's really trying to tell us something. That's one of his main things is telling us, you need to abide in Christ. In order to walk forward in your faith, you've got to abide. You've got to rest in him. You've got to move and breathe in him. So take note. So moving on to the next section uh, where it says, And so when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that, he would be call- that we would be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. We're going to pause there again. See, when John is talking, especially in this section of Scripture, he wants us to be aware, just like I had mentioned before, 
He's calling us to recognize that there are deep privileges when we are called children of God. The moment that you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit fills you, you have privileges that are automatically bestowed upon you. Whether we realize it or not, they're there for us to access. They're there for the taking. God wants us to understand this. So he goes through and he tells us what some of these privileges are. And the first that he says is he calls us and says, you have the privilege of confidence. In verse 228, he says that. That we may be confident. The Greek word for confidence here is parousia. And the reason I keep telling you the Greek words is, again, context. It's good for us to know these things because you can find this word throughout Scripture and you can start connecting them, right? This word, parousia, really kind of speaks to the open boldness that we can come before God with. The same word is used in Ephesians 3.12 where it says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. That's amazing. That, he, that God has given us the privilege that we don't have to come with heads held as his children, that we can come boldly and confidently before him. Now, that's not with sass. Understand, let's be clear. God's not saying we can come in with some sass and some attitude and, like, demanding. What he's saying is that because we're his children, he has an open-door policy, right? He says, I want you to come to me. I want you to to fellowship with me. I want you to abide in me. And I want you to do it without hesitation, without fear. And that's that's what John is even saying here in in reminding the church of the day, but also reminding us today that through our everyday lives, and especially at the point of Christ's return, because that's a lot of what John is referring to here, is that we have a privilege as a child of God that we can go boldly before him And that we will have the ability to go without fear of rebuke. Now, I know that there's times where I have thought about, you know, when I die. And I stand before Jesus and I'm like, oh, there's going to be a big old, like, movie of all my bad stuff. You know, and that, like, kind of thing. And and not to say that there's not going to be that, you know, I don't know. But... There's also the, 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 the confidence that God loves me so much that he's going to say, girl, I know your heart. I know what you're trying to do. And so he's going to allow me to come without re- fear of rebuke, that he's not going to scold me. And he's not going to scold you as a child of God, that you can come before him and that you can pursue him and that you can stand at, in his throne room on that day without fear of rebuke. Because we have already established that abiding relationship. See, that privilege goes with abiding. Secondly, he points out that we can come before God unashamed. Now, remember how a minute ago I said I was afraid I was going to kind of come in like this, whatever. That's the shame issue, right? It's the shame of not following through, of not doing the things I said I was going to do or doing the things I said I wasn't going to do, right? We probably all have those on some level, and whether people know about it or people don't. Right? We've got some of those shame things that God wants to separate us from when he's dealt with it. Right? When we've come to him and we've dealt with those things, he's, he separates us from those things. And he's even saying that you can come to me unashamed because a child of God is marked by holy living. See, as Wesleyans, you know, we're, we're all about the holy living. Right? We call everybody to holy living. And holy living is seeking God. 
right? It's doing and choosing right. It's seeking to abide. It's all of those things. It's, it's coming before God unashamed. And, and I'm just going to say on a side note, um, if you happen to mention to somebody that you're a Christian, and they're like, oh, really? Huh. That's interesting. That might be a clue that you need to get straight with Jesus. Um, because, right, if they're questioning, they're kind of going, hmm, okay. And that happened to me one time. I was younger, and I was like, oh, yeah, I go to church. And they're like, you go to church? I was like, oh, dang. Like, that's rough, right? <laughs> that's rough. So um, the beauty, though, is that those that abide in Jesus will have earnestly tried their best to walk out righteousness. And so there's no shame to be had when we stand before the Father. Convexly, those that have not chosen to walk in righteousness, that have not chosen to abide, will experience the deepest kind of shame. Because they have not been in the relationship. They have not done the rightness. They have not asked for forgiveness. They have not come before Jesus clean. And so they will experience the shame. And, and there's a sadness in that. And that's what should activate us to tell our people about Jesus. To make sure that everyone around us knows who he is and how he can transform their life. The third privilege that he talks about, and this is one of my favorite verses, is he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word lavished. It's like so like lavishing. I love it, right? He is, his love is so extravagant, and it is such a privilege because he comes after us. He pursues us. It's not like just by accident that you came to know Jesus, right? He pursued you. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You notice here he didn't say, Oh, you got to come to my house and i got to buzz you in. He's standing at your door, knocking, waiting for you to answer, to respond. In, in Wesleyan theology, we call this prevenient grace. This is the idea that God woos us like the greatest lover of our soul and then gives us the ability to choose him in return. That's amazing that the God of the universe loves each one of us so much that he would chase us down, stand at our door and knock, and woo us like a lover because he wants us to abide in him that much. And then John goes on and he says um, in two, verses 2 and 3, dear, dear, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We have the privilege to be like Christ. Becoming like Christ is a lifetime pursuit, though. I, I want to clarify that. It's not like one of those things where you just wake up one day and you're like, oh, yay, I'm like Christ, right? Every day is a choice. Every day you have to wake up and make that choice. That I'm going to respond, be, act like Jesus. I'm going to choose Christ-likeness today. Even Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we are transformed into being more like Christ one degree at a time. One degree at a time. If you sail a boat, one degree can put you in a completely different part of the world, right? Same thing in life. You alter yourself by one degree. It can change the trajectory of your life. 
Imagine just that one degree and what that choice could look like of more love and less hate, more forgiveness, less bitterness, more grace, less anger, more serving, less being served. Ultimately, more of him, less of you. If we start making choices like this, our spiritual likeness will grow more and more to resemble Jesus. John then shifts gears, and we're going to continue into Scripture. But he shifts gears from the privileges of being children of God, and those are all fun, right? I like being loved. I like being confident. I really like being unashamed. That's cool. A lot. I like the idea that I can look like Christ, that I can walk and, 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 and have a Christ-likeness that people would recognize. But John wants to understand, don't stop there, right? Because there's some other stuff you've got to know that goes with this. Because John is super clear that with these privileges also come responsibilities. With privileges come responsibilities. And we have to know that, and we have to walk in that. So let's look at verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that when that he appears so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. So in this, he really kind of just dives headlong, and he's like, I talked to you about privileges, now stand up straight for the, for the responsibilities you've got to take on. And the first one of that is that he says in verses 4 through 6, you need to strive towards not sinning. Strive towards not sinning. In Philippians 3.12, it says, Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, here's the thing, is that striving towards sin is also a progressive thing. It is a journey to go on, right? It's a daily choice. Sometimes it's hourly or minute by minute to choose not to sin. And God knows us in our human nature. He knows he created us, right? That we're not, we're going to mess up sometimes. But what is, what is your, what is your ultimate goal? What are you striving towards? What are you trying to be? Who are you, know, who are you trying to be? What are you trying to do in this? Even, you know, in Philippians where it says, I've not yet gotten this, but I'm moving towards it. I'm trying to get there, y'all. Not there yet, but I'm trying to get there. I'm getting there, working it every day. As children of God, we're not to be known for our sin, right? We're, we shouldn't be known, like I, earlier when they were like, oh, really, you go to church? Known from a sin, not known from a righteousness, right? We're not to be known for our sin because we don't continue to pursue them. Instead, we're pursuing to look more like Christ. We're pursuing different choices. And I think sometimes that that can be really overwhelming because in our humanness, right, our humanness is bent on sinning. But Jesus tells us, and John tells us, that it's not by your power or by your might that this is going to happen. In verse 5, he clearly says, it's by Jesus. 
You abiding in Jesus will make it easier and easier for you to choose not to sin. Again, it goes back to the relationship. The deeper in you are with Jesus, the further away you're going to be from that old lifestyle, from those old choices of sin, those old habits, those old temptations. doesn't mean they won't rear their ugly heads sometime. But the deeper you abide in Christ, the easier it will become to make different choices. So one of our responsibilities is to strive towards not sinning. He also says in verse 7 through 9 that we're called to live out righteousness. You know, righteousness is kind of one of those big Christian terms that really just means, you know, do the right thing, right? Choose rightly. Like if you, if you have a choice and you go, hmm, I don't know if that's right, then I would probably say don't do it because it's probably not, right? Choose rightly. And righteousness isn't just an intention, I have the intention of doing right, except I always do wrong, right? <laughs> That's not righteousness. Righteousness isn't just an intention or a feeling, but it is actually shown and made manifest through our actions, right? You've got to demonstrate your righteousness. You can't just, you know, talk about it. You've got to demonstrate. You've got to do it. So that if you never said a word about who Jesus was to, to you or in your life, that people would automatically know that there is something so drastically different about you that they'd have to ask. That's righteousness. And again, that's a daily pursuit. Sometimes that righteousness is shown through, you know, random decisions. It's shown through our actions. A lot of times it's shown in our integrity. And that's difficult sometimes because you're put in hard places and forced to make hard decisions. But it's in those moments when even integrity you have to step into that, and you have to say, God, help me to walk in your righteousness. Help me to make this, this choice of integrity at my job, with my family, on my taxes, whatever that looks like, right? It's how do we do that. It also doesn't make us, walking in righteousness, doesn't make us children of God. But it's a consequence or an expression that pours out of that abiding relationship. It's going to become more of a natural outpouring. So again, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you abide in him, the more naturally righteousness is going to pour out of you. The great news, too, is that as we struggle to kind of walk this life of righteousness, because isn't it hard sometimes? Like, you can shake your head, it's okay. Or you don't, and I'll just look at your eyes and know. That, that the great news in this is that Jesus came to destroy unrighteousness. That in his power, that we can lean on him and gain strength. That he wants to strengthen us up. He wants, to walk in, wants, to walk, wants us to walk in righteousness. So why would he pull away from us? He presses into us that much more in that abiding. Because he wants us to be able to walk in righteousness. Jesus destroys not only in righteousness, but he destroys the works of sin and the devil. And the seed of God, the seed of truth that abides in us, gives us some of that greater strength that we need to walk in that righteousness. And then finally, in verse 10, it says this. This is how we know the children of God, who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. That's harsh. Right there? Like, that's hardcore. Like, that's, you know, no bones. Like, how do I have to discern that? Nope, there's no discerning. He says, if you walk righteous, walk in righteousness, and if you love, you're a child of God. If you don't, 
then you're not. And even more specifically, he says, they're the children of the devil. Dang, right? Nothing like John to tell us the truth. And that's a hard truth to swallow sometimes, isn't it? Because we have to start looking at our own lives and saying, how am I walking in righteousness and how am I not? How am I loving and how am I failing to love? See, the, the human tendency in all of this is to um, really love on the privileges, right? To love on the privileges of, you know, being confident and unashamed and totally loved and all that greatness. And we struggle to take on the responsibilities. Why do you think that is? Because it's hard. I'll tell you that. That's hard. It's not easy. It's hard to choose righteousness. It's hard to walk in a way that we're not choosing sin. That's not easy. It's not easy. It takes effort and it takes work. And sometimes it takes effort and work that's the hardest just to even admit that there's things that we need to work on. Right? Sometimes that's, that's the hardest part is admitting that we've got some of these things in our lives that need to be righted, that are keeping us from a deeper abiding relationship with Christ. But when we see them, and there may be things that are stirring up in you now, because I'm going to tell you, when I was prepping this sermon, God was dealing with all kinds of stuff in me. And I was like, Jesus, help me. Lord, have mercy. You know? Because he stirs that up in us. And the reason he does is not to make you feel ashamed, but to give you a place to write it to come before him and ask his forgiveness and to say, God, help me do better. I want to be better. Help me do better. I want to be righteous. Help me walk righteous. I want to sin less. Help me sin less. You know what I mean? He, he wants us to do that. We forget that privilege and responsibility go hand in hand so often and that you don't get privilege without taking hold of the responsibility sometimes. And that too is a hard truth to take on especially in a culture of instant gratification and getting whatever you want so much of the time. I have a 15-year-old, and some of the conversations that we have around what her friends are getting and what she's not getting really kind of demonstrates this for us. Because some of those things is that here's a privilege, and are you willing to take the responsibility that goes with that? And sometimes those privileges that her friends are getting are way beyond their years, way beyond their maturity. And then when they get those privileges and it fails so miserably and they struggle and they suffer through because they cannot accept the responsibility that goes with it. They just don't have the ability. And sometimes we, that comes in with us too. And that's where we have to fall on our knees before God and we have to say, God, help me. Because I know what you're calling me to. I know the responsibilities that go with my, the privileges that you have bestowed upon me as your child. I cannot walk this alone. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your grace. And that is part of abiding also. So how is John challenging us to view our own spiritual walks in light of this? Are you struggling to abide in Christ, to not wander off from him? Because sometimes we, we, we go in real close and then we kind of fall away. We go in real close and then we fall away. That's hard not to do too. Do we need a, a refreshing assurance of confidence in God? 
does that need to be refreshed? Have we kind of struggled? Has, has life not kind of gone how we thought it should? And so we're lacking confidence either in God or in our ability to love God. <coughs> Are we struggling in that confidence? Are you struggling with a sin that seems to just keep hanging on? You know, there's those things that we allow in that just seem to hang on like a rabid dog on your ankle. God wants to take those that away. He wants to work with you in tandem, hand in hand, to work those out. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you need to experience the fullness of God's love? Maybe even for the first time. Maybe you've come here today and you've heard about God's love, but you've never experienced it before. Maybe you need that. And do you need to step up and not only take hold of the privileges of being a uh, child of God, but also the responsibilities too? <coughs> Sorry. It's hard to do that. But he's calling us equally to take hold of the privileges, to accept them, to abide in him and, and experience those. But he's also equally calling us to take hold of those responsibilities, to do the hard work. And when it feels overwhelming, when it feels like it's too much, to come before him and say, God, meet me where I'm at, because I can't go any further on my own. If your, answer, if your answer is yes to any of those questions, I can guarantee you with confidence that if you are a child of God and you are abiding and wanting to abide in him, if you're craving and abiding in him, if today you've come and you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, you want part of those privileges and you're willing to take up the responsibilities, if you want to see transformation take place in your life, again, I can confidently say that God is here and that he wants to meet you there. In whatever place you're at, in any of those areas, he wants to help you do a new work. He wants to do a new work in you. And really, that starts today. And so I want to challenge you to go boldly, go confidently before him, and ask. Because he will meet you there every time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us such privilege as your children Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who, ha who does not know you, who would not confidently be able to say that they are a child of yours, Father, I pray that you would just speak to their heart. Father, woo them like the greatest lover. Father, I pray that you would just show them your love, Father, and draw them to you. God, I pray that as children of God that sometimes we struggle and we get caught in various things, Father, and I pray that you would give us the strength to step into the responsibilities that you've called us to as well, to walking away from sin and to walking in righteousness instead. God, I pray that you would go before us, that you would strengthen us up, and that you would take your word and plant it in us like a seed that grows into a mighty oak tree. Father, I thank you and I praise you in your name. Amen. Thank you, Malia. Let's stand as we sing together. <laughs> Let the walls fall down. 